Welcome into AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent video and uh, audio podcast of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. And uh, if you're hearing this, which, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, obviously you are. It's kind of a stupid thing for me to say. Uh, it doesn't sound like the normal intro because what we try and do during the course of our recordings is we try and cover a topic within 60 minutes. And I need to keep it under 60 minutes to uh, allow it to um, stream and put it on other platforms, basically, uh, because there are certain certain uh, time limits, certain restrictions. Well, we started recording the Kurt Heading episode, and I could tell as we got about 35, 40-ish minutes into it that we hadn't even gotten through half of what we were going to do. So... What we had to do, the decision that we made on the fly, was to turn the Kurt Heading episode and topic, because there was so much there to get into, we decided to change it from one episode to two. Uh, So what you're hearing now is me explaining why uh, we've got kind of a a different feel to it, kind of like we did with the Polish show, kind of handle it the same way, so... Uh, you'll also hear me back sell it at the end, uh, but without any further ado, uh, here's part one of our episode and a conversation about the late, great Kurt Henning. Welcome in to another edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent AWA podcast slash video stream. I am Chris Tubbs. I am one part of it. I'm not even going to wait to bring these guys in because I haven't seen these guys in a while. It feels like forever. Let's bring in Mick Karch and George Shire. And guys, I mean, we've got a show today that I think a lot of people are going to be excited to hear about. I I think a lot of people want to know about our topic today because he's one of the most beloved individuals. And, well, I I won't save the rest of it. Uh, but we're going to talk about Kurt Henning, the, the late Kurt Henning. And it's, I hate to say late when you talk about Kurt Henning because I didn't know him like you guys did, but I loved everything about him that, that I saw on television and what I heard. Uh, but before we get going, we've had a very busy couple of weeks behind the scenes. Uh, let's fill you guys in. Uh, first of all, um, I do want to thank our sponsors. We've got two sponsors here. We got two people that are uh, coming aboard. Number one, Soda Stick, your best place for uh, Minnesota sports merchandise. Mick's got the uh, the Met Center uh, cap on. I've got the Hormel Row of Fame, the uh, Wiener winner. Yes, George. Well, I'm looking up here above. Oh, yeah, right up there. Yeah. up there. Yeah, the uh, upper right-hand corner, great Minnesota themed uh, sports merchandise. In fact, it's the best place to go. If you love your novelty shirts, if you're a sports fan, uh, hit them up at uh, Soda Stick. We'll actually put the uh, the information down there. Hold on. There it is right there. We're going to scroll it. And as a matter of fact, if you want to get something there and you use the promo code UNLEASHED, you're going to f- get 15% off. So uh, use the promo code UNLEASHED. I used it over the weekend, guys. Works like a charm. Yes. And uh, I, I did do it. So want to thank uh, Soda Stick. Uh, also want to thank our friends at Lift Bridge Brewing right there. As a matter of fact, I'm drinking the uh, Juicy IPA because it uh, tastes good. I'm a big fan of the margaritas, but the uh, the IPA goes down uh, pretty good. So 
There you go. Uh, now we're drinking on the job. It's our show. We can do what we want. There you go. You know, we can do that. So I uh, want to thank uh, as well um, Liftbridge Brewery because they are the official beer of AWA Unleashed. Let's face it, best beer, best brewery for the best fans. And uh, check out their inventory for the booze and the swag at uh, liftbridgebrewery right there, dot com. Speaking of all of that combined, guys, speaking of all of that combined, I'm super excited to tell you that for the first time, first time, I mean, my gosh, we've been doing it for, what, like four months or so, we are going to have our very first live show. I'm so incredibly excited. We are partnering with the awesome people at Liftbridge Brewery and also um, Midwest All-Star Wrestling, which I know, Mick, you've got a, a very good working relationship with them. Uh, we are going to be doing a live event on Saturday, June 11th before the Midwest All-Star Wrestling Card. It's going to be at Lipbridge Brewery, uh, doors at noon, live podcast at 2. I think we were going to do it at 1.30, push it back to 2 o'clock, the wrestling at 3.30. And you can see the link right there, uh, get the tickets. But just a, a lot of great stuff going on. I think here's a chance, guys, for us to really continue to, to pay it back to the people that have supported us. And, and here's a chance, really, I think, to, to say thank you in person to a lot of the people that have you've really been there for us. What, I mean, what do you say, George? I absolutely, you know, we've got good sponsors and they've been great enough to come on board and look after us, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I'm telling the fans like you are, get out there and use the code, get your merchandise. And then when we get to that July or June 11th, mm -hmm. I'm excited about this. This is going to be fun in person. We're going to get a chance to be in front of the folks, answer their questions and uh, have a chance to chat with them about our favorite subject, AWA Wrestling. Very much looking forward to this, of course. My question for you, Mr. Tubbs, would be, are George and I going to be kind of fending for ourselves? Because I know the security detail mm -hmm. is going to be surrounding you. Yeah, I was thinking or, of that, too. You know, I mean, you can't just leave us hanging out in the wind there, buddy. you got to, you know, get us somebody. Oh, see, no, I, I I'm gonna be drinking their IPA. So I mean you guys are on you guys are on your own. That's yeah. what we're gonna do. I, I know, see? You give me a little bit of that and I'm like, whoo, you guys spend for yourselves. I, it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It is, it sure is. I you know, I love the live stuff when uh SNR would go on location, especially with that guy there, the authority. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he would make his uh his heel appearances. It went over great. It's, it's so terrific to interact with everybody. And, uh, oh, very much looking forward to it. So thanks, everybody involved. Thank you, Liftbridge and MAW, and we're going to have some fun. Yeah, it's going to be it, it's, it's going to be great. And I'm so excited because this is an opportunity that I realize not a lot of people get. And, again, so to stick. Man, you guys have been awesome in supporting us. And, by the way, I, I know people have been asking about AWA Unleashed uh, T-shirts and stuff. If that's something that you guys are really interested in, if you guys really want it, uh, hit us up in the YouTube comments. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, the comments underneath. Um, Twitter, uh, my Twitter, you can see it right there at CM Tubbs, AWA Unleashed. I mean, send Mick or George a message. Send me a message. Let me know because if that's something that you guys are interested in, maybe we can make that happen. And, and I mean, it's, it's all about what you guys want, right? I mean, this is ultimately, I'm a fan. You guys are fans. And, and really, guys, 
the show's just about something we all love. And you mentioned it perfectly, George. And, and Mick, I mean, this is about the AWA. We all love it. We have that, that, that common thread. So if you guys want AWA swag, I mean, let us know. Let us know. Even um, if you don't want it, we're going to get it. We're, we're going to try to get it out there. You know, we're going to do a, a full, full court press Vince McMahon, whether you like it or not. This is what we're, <laughs> we're, we're shoving down your, you know, so We're going to shove it down your throat. We're, yeah, we'll, we'll get the stuff out there. Now yeah. who's doing the heel roll? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, All right. th- th- that, uh, that card they're going to have there on June 11th, you know, maybe the authority should go and make his presence with some of those those goofballs they got wrestling. Oh, dear God. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I believe they call them whippersnappers now, George. No, whippersnappers. whippersnappers. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, let's um, get to our show. Let's go, yeah. We do. Okay. Let's uh, let's finish uh, – let's finish. Let's uh, – Let's start by uh, telling you the uh, winner to the trivia last week, Nick, because it's been a while. Let's get the trivia winner for last week, and then uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, Kurt Henning. Trivia winner for last week. Congratulations to loyal listener slash viewer Brett Williams. He knew that of the wrestlers that I mentioned, former AWA wrestlers, only one had not refereed in the AWA, and that was our good buddy, the late Stan Crusher Kowalski. And he didn't referee as Dan Kowalski or Burt Smith or Carl Kovacs or anybody else. So <laughs> congratulations, Brett Williams. And we're gonna we're gonna have one more trivia uh, coming up uh, a little bit later on. All right, guys. Now that we've got all of the business out of the way, let's get to the topic here, and that is somebody that I, I know, maybe one of our most requested. Uh, topic so far I think would you say that that Kurt Hedding is somebody that people they they want to hear about they they want to know who is Kurt Hedding what was he like and, and really we're going to get into the the early days of Kurt and really more the family aspect too because when, when I think guys I think of you know wrestling royal families and you've got two in Minnesota that come to mind the Ganyas but I tell you what, for the uh, the um, lineage and the legacy that the Hennigs have left in this state and in this region, I would make the case that the Hennigs are the number one royal family in Minnesota wrestling. I mean, wh- what would you say to that, Mick? I would say they are certainly right up there, and I would also caution all three of us to talk about the lineage because that's going to be part of the trivia question. Um, but... Uh, no question about it. Uh, the IPA you know, kicking in. There you go. The, uh, <laughs> the, the Ganyas are certainly, you know, maybe they are the first family of Minnesota wrestling, but yeah, if not, the Hennigs are, if not right up there, they're a close second. And uh, Kurt himself left a body of work that I think is, is really unmatched for the era. And I know how proud Larry was of him. But we'll be talking about all of that. What say you about that, George? I mean, your your impressions of, of Kurt Henning. Well, I'll tell you what about Kurt Henning. The reason he has such an appeal is he was able to carry over from what we had, the old school as we call it. And then he went moved into the expansion era and, you know, became a star in the WWF, which it was still at that time. And I think that's where the appeal comes in. He was able to carry over and be part of both eras. 
And uh, we'll get talking about it. I mean, Kurt was just a special talent. There you go. Sorry, just had to unmute my microphone. I'm getting some of the stuff ready. So when did you guys hear uh, about this young kid named Kurt? I mean, Larry was well-established in the business, but when did you start hearing about his son and maybe his son potentially having a future in the industry? Uh, go ahead and, and start with that, Mick. I heard about that early on. Uh, you know, it was no secret. And before I got into the, the announcing aspect of the business, I would go to the shows and, you know, people would point out sitting up in the seats watching the action was this young Hennig that had designs on becoming a professional wrestler. And, uh, you know, Kurt was there. He was uh, doing the scouting. He was a big fan. Of course, his dad was a legend. So early on, I don't know how old Kurt would have been at the time, you know, maybe fresh out of high school or whatever, but the seeds were being planted way back then, a long time ago. You know, I'd go back even a little bit farther than that. Um, here in one of our previous shows, we talked about the Larry Hennig babyface turn from the hated heel that he was yeah. when he came into the ring in 1974 and saved Greg Gagne from the triple teaming of Bachwinkle, Stevens, and Bobby Heenan. <clears throat> and during that match, or after that match, Larry carried the the prone, broken body of Greg out of camera range. And then on his interview, he said, I couldn't stand by and watch these three guys try to end the career of this, of Greg, because I have a son of my own, right. a boy of my own that, you know, has aspirations to be a wrestler. And that was in 74, hmm. you know, long before Kurt was probably ready to, start thinking about it but that was the first seed that uh you know and that that bonafide larry as a baby face at that point yeah. because they played that morality card you know you're not going to watch somebody beat up a kid and and uh, wreck his career and larry wouldn't want it done to his own boy and that's i mean that that's a tale that's old as time <clears throat> like yeah. and and there's truth to it right I, I mean you know you can look at a wrestling story and you can say that's totally crazy but at that point, there's some believability to it. And when you guys first met Kurt, like, did you meet him? You know, was he in high school? Was he out of high school? Was he just starting training? Uh, when did you guys first meet him? And what for, were your first thoughts of him? Uh, why don't you go ahead and start with that, uh, start with that, Nick? You know, I, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I met Kurt. I was introduced to him in that same era that I was talking about earlier on. And, you know, Kurt wants to be a wrestler. And at the time, you're thinking, okay, well, good for you. Uh, you know, and, and you knew that the odds were very good because of who his father was and the association with Vern and Larry and, and whatnot. Uh, Kurt was pleasant. He was a, a pretty quiet guy back at the time, far, far removed from the uh, eventual river that Kurt Hennig became. But very pleasant guy, but kind of nondescript. And I think... That actually translated into his first couple of years in the business, too. That, that that personality of his took a little while to develop. And then, you know, ultimately, it was it was perfect, as they say. Oh, uh, what, yeah. What do you what do you remember? Like the first couple of times that you met him, George? 
Well, you know, Kurt actually got into the business in the early 80s, and he came in as a rookie. You know, he trained with Vern, and obviously his dad had such an influence on him. And I think that was the best of both worlds for Kurt coming into the business and having, you know, Larry's style of the of wrestling and then Vern's, you know, teaching him the, the basics and then, then the opponents. And that was in like 80, 81. And then Kurt went on the road for a while, was gone from the AWA. And um, there, you know, there's a good picture of Larry and, and Kurt, just a proud dad and his son. And, and Kurt is just a kid there. But, you know, when I actually got a chance to meet Kurt wasn't until 1984. And Mick will remember this. I actually met him for the first time at our supervention at the prom ballroom in St. Paul, the, the uh, convention that Mick and I put together. And Kurt was one of the wrestlers of the many that we had there that night that was uh, nice enough to come and, and make everything go so well. And that was the night I had a chance to talk with him for the first time. But he was very, very mild, very kind, very quiet, so to speak, still obviously playing a baby face. And he had come back here at that point after being gone for a little bit. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So you guys... I think one of the first things that you guys mentioned to me is the, the Ganya um, Hennig feud. Let's go ahead and, and just get into that. Mick, how would you describe that feud being renewed? Because apparently it was one that was dormant. Uh, you know, Vern and Larry feuded for a while, and, and then apparently, you know, that cooled off. And I mean, how, how did that get reignited? Well, I, th- I think the history of it, you know, probably will leave to George uh, in terms of um, – how it came about, it was a natural. I mean, it was, you know, Vern, Larry, you know, dormant or not all those years, it was the progression, you know, it was the old story, you know, whether it's the Ortons or the Von Erichs or the Ganyas and the Hennigs. Uh, ultimately, you know, the, the, the fathers at some point had a feud with each other and it carried on into the, into the kids. And uh, it, it went, when, when you have a real life, backdrop of some animosity which you did with Kurt uh, with Larry and Vern mm-hmm. uh, that also played into it so it was a very very easy thing to get into and I think looking back on it if, if this makes any sense Vern and and Greg probably took it more seriously than Kurt and Larry Kurt and Larry seemed to be having some fun with it uh, you know, Kurt would go out on TV and, you know, you know, talk about how his dad pulled Vern Gagne out of his penny loafers. And, you know, Greg, Greg would talk about how uh, when Vern found out he was going to have a son, he anticipated having this big six foot, five inch, 300 pound football player. And what Kurt said is, and then all of a sudden, can you imagine that when Kurt is 16, 17 years old? You know, Vern's looking at this, uh, at the, or Greg is 16, 17. Vern's looking at him like, where did I get this kid with a stack of dimes for a neck? You know, so <laughs> it, it was kind of a natural, but I, I think uh, I think Kurt and Larry had a good time with it. You, you could tell. Yeah, go ahead and follow up on that, George, because I, I know that this was kind of a, you know, this was something that you remember fondly, too. Well, and, and, and you know, you talk about the natural progression. You know, everybody knows the history between Larry and Vern. Vern brought Larry into the business, and Vern obviously was the scientific good guy, baby face. Larry was different in the sense that he was bigger. He he was more of the bully-type wrestler. And, of course, 
as he got into the early 60s, that's where he was going with his career. He was better as a big bully or a, or a, uh, a heel. And then Vern would take, uh, you know, get excited about that, that Porky. And he called him fat boy and, and uh, everything, you know, and, and saying that he's taking a shortcut. And Larry would have the animosity that Vern is jealous because now I'm better than the teacher. And it was perfect. Teacher, pupil. I mean, what, you know, like Mick said, the Ortons, the Von Erichs, you name it, yeah. they use that, that angle. And then, of course, mm -hmm. as the 60s went on, there was no feud that was more prominent in the AWA than the ongoing rivalry between Larry and Vern. And any match they had, any tag match they had, it, it was believable. And then, you know, Vern broke Larry's leg, and that added more fuel to the fire. Vern and Larry was going to end his career and put the champion in the rocking chair for good, you know. And then when we get to that 74 point, when Larry came back from the East Coast as the axe, and he was still a heel, and he was feuding with the son of Flicka, as he called him, Greg Gagne. <laughs> you know, he called him the son of Flicka. And he said, you know, now there's two Gagnes. And he says, then one time he says, well, I actually only one and a half because he picked on Greg's size, you know. <laughs> and I mean, they just they just added this. Then that day when Bachwinkle, Heenan, and Stevens are, are triple teaming Greg after Jim Brunzel had been eliminated in the ring. And they're, they're triple teaming Greg. And Larry comes charging in. And everybody thought, Roger Kent included, you know, they're telling the fans that, oh, my God, now here comes Larry Hennig to add more insult to the injury. Because Larry and Greg had had some serious matches when mm -hmm. Larry came back. And Larry, on the other hand, turned against his three buddies and carried Greg off. And that's where that immediate hero. But like you say, it was that morality play. And then Larry played the babyface. We even saw Larry and Vern tag team a couple of times between that time period before Kurt got into it. So, but it was going to come back because Kurt, he had that chip on his shoulder where he wanted to prove he was the best Hennig. So you were mentioning the, you know, the, the beat down by Stevens and, and Bachwinkle. And, and what about Kurt's one hour Broadway with, with Nick Bachwinkle? Cause that, that seems like it'd just be a classic. That to me, and you know, it, it's funny, people who are not all that familiar with the AWA will go on YouTube or whatever, and they will see this one hour draw uh, from the showboat in Vegas. It had absolutely everything going for it. And I mean, they were, they went to 60 minutes. It wasn't, you know, Alderusha, <laughs> you know, 42 minutes, <laughs> 60 minute match. Uh, but phenomenal. Uh, Nick, I believe, was 52 years old at the time, so he was probably 20 years Kurt's senior, and they tore the place up. And and I know a lot of wrestlers will say to young guys coming in, if you want to, if you want a clinic, if you want to see how this is done, you watch that match on YouTube. Uh, just phenomenal. And that may have been Kurt's real coming of age, I think, as a wrestler. Well, and I think, too, in that match, you know, as Mick pointed out, the age difference. I mean, Kurt was 20, 20 years younger than, than uh, Vern at that point, or than uh, Nick. And back and forth, what, what that match brought, I mean, I've watched it a few times, and you had everything. You had the, the moves, the bumps, the 
that the, just how great they work together. And it not only showcased Kurt, it showcased Nick, mm-hmm. because obviously here's a guy who's, you know, double Kurt's age. And yes, that is where Kurt became Kurt Hennig. And really it's on YouTube guys go out and take a look at it. And it was a legit hour that also led to the San Francisco debacle between the two of them. When uh, Larry, Larry Zabisco got involved and, and, Nick lost the title, and there's a story behind that, too. And, you know, we'll probably talk on that. You know, it's interesting, Chris. You know, uh, when Kurt was teaming with Scott Hall, you know, popular tag team, AWA tag team champions, and Kurt was, I guess, starting to come into his own, but he had that, he had Scott Hall, you know, as, as, a, as a go-to. But I think the singles match with Nick and there's uh, Kurt and Scott – Hard to believe they're both gone now. Wow. Uh, the, the singles match between Kurt and Nick, that one-hour Broadway, I think, established what Kurt could do as a singles wrestler, similarly to what happened with Jim Brunzel when he went to those, those one-hour Broadways with Nick. This, too, they were learning from the best, and they were learning from the master, and it established what they could do as singles wrestlers. George, I... I... I know that we talk a lot about Larry and, and obviously so, but um, I know there were a lot of talks that Kurt had with his dad. And I think that's something that I, I'm curious about. Um, just what was the relationship between the two of them? With Larry, I'm going to tell you, um, you probably could not find two father sons that were closer. Um, I had, I had the opportunity to visit Larry Hennig after Kurt's passing. And, uh, you know, after it happened, Larry was dev, I mean, absolutely devastated. He actually became sort of a recluse for a few years. He just couldn't, couldn't even talk about it or be out in public about it. Later on when Kurt, you know, when Larry would talk about Kurt, you never saw a guy light up more than Larry did when he would mention Kurt in the ring or watching Kurt. And one of the real moments, and and Larry told me this personally, he said that of all of the accomplishments that he personally had had in in the business, Larry now, you know, he'd been AWA tag team champion and a number of times, and and he had had Japanese tag team title and all the main events and all the accolades he had. Mm -hmm. He said his proudest moment was when they when he had a chance to go with Kurt to the Pacific Northwest Territory, and they were actually able together as a father son team win the Pacific Northwest Tag Team title from Rip Oliver and Matt Bourne. Now, yeah, Matt and, Bourne and then they are right there. Yeah, there you go. And that that picture, Larry gave that picture to me. He, he said that this was his proudest moment when he was standing next to Kurt in the ring and able to work those matches. He said, I just was so proud. And, and I get it. When I was at his house, Larry's house, we sat at his table, and he was almost in tears when he would talk about how good Kurt was. He loved when they'd go fishing when they were, when they were younger and, and the trips they took, they'd go hunting. And he goes to a wall in his room. He says, come down, come down here. He says, we go to this big hallway, and he's got all these pictures, posters, accolades of Kurt on the on the wall. 
And um, yeah, to talk about how close they were, mm -hmm. I understand why he was devastated when, when Kurt was gone. But he had the same accolades when he would talk then about Joe, Kurt's son, and Amy, the, his daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, just a proud grandpa. I mean, Larry, he was a father. He was a, a, a father who halted his career almost because he didn't want to travel to stay home with his family. And you got to bless the man for that. Yeah, You know, I would have Larry on, on uh, SNR a couple of times. We would sit uh, ahead of time. Okay, what are we going to talk about now? You know, let's talk about such and such, and we'll talk about your career and the feud with Vern. And Larry would almost always say no. You know, we can mention it briefly, but I want to talk about Kurt. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was such, like George said, such a loving relationship. On so many levels, not only the father-son relationship, but what Kurt was accomplishing day by day, month by month, year by year, as a professional wrestler, like George said, uh, Larry was absolutely popping his buttons. That's all he wanted to talk about. So they had a wonderful relationship. And, you know, the thing is, too, when you look at Kurt, you know, he was he was in between what Vern and Larry were as far as a wrestler. I mean, Kurt wasn't the biggest wrestler in the world, but he wasn't smaller like Greg Gagne. And he was smaller than his dad, but he had more of a build. He had more of the speed. He had the, he, I think Larry saw in him some of the accolades that Larry wished he'd have had, maybe being a little bit faster, a little bit, uh, you know, smaller. Because mm -hmm. Larry was always just big and he had to work that way. Kurt was phenomenal. I mean, we, we could talk for hours on how great that kid was. And look at how young he is there. I mean, this was when he first started out. And you'd see him come off that top rope, the ring rope, and deliver that drop kick. Uh, what a what a class act. Just phenomenal worker. Well, what kind of conversations did you have at the showboat with Kurt about his, uh, his future, Mick? Did you guys you have a chance to talk to him kind of a lot about maybe what some of his post AWA aspirations were? Well, when we could get Kurt away from the blackjack tables or, you know, the, uh, the slot machines or the pull tabs or whatever, um, at the showboat, it, it was interesting because again, this is when I'm there with Kurt, he has just recently transitioned from the baby face kind of milk toast baby face to this incredible cocky heel. And he had done so well. He's feuding with Greg. He's feuding with Wahoo. He's on top of the world and he's got the AWA title. And one night he just confided in me. He says, I got to tell you, you know, prepare yourself because this might not last too long. And what are you talking about? Well, you know, I'm getting some phone calls. I'm getting some, you know, some signals. I'm getting some offers. And this may be the kind of thing where, you know, you just never know. Eventually, I might have to make a jump here. And remember, you're talking to the guy that is the AWA heavyweight champion at the time. So he's on top of the promotion. The AWA is still kicking, still got life left in him. But already you're getting the signals that he might go someplace else. And, you know, he wanted to kayfabe, obviously. Um, so, you know, nobody said anything about it. But, again, back as early as, you know, the AWA 1987, August or September of 87, Kurt was already looking beyond the AWA. 
you know, I'd point out something too. I alluded a moment ago to the San Francisco match between Nick and Kurt Hennig when Nick was still AWA champ. And for those fans that have seen that on YouTube, Larry Zabisco came into the ring before the match started and basically put a challenge out to Stanley Blackburn in the ring. Stanley Blackburn was there. And, and Zabisco said, I want to challenge the winner of this match. And, and Blackburn said, you've got a match. Now, when you watch that match, I mean, the match between Nick and Kurt again was so phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But during the course of the match, it was obvious that Kurt was playing the heel and against Nick, of all people. And then Larry Zabisco got into the act where he allegedly handed a roll of coins to Kurt, who just knocked Nick out. And if you watch Nick, he just falls over like a like a skyscraper falling. And he's out cold. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the controversy. Ray Stevens got in the ring. Blackburn was in the ring. Zabisco got in the ring. Nick was very quiet about it. He says, I don't know what happened. My lights went out. But they were they were throwing the controversy out that Kurt actually won the title because he pinned Nick and was holding mm-hmm. the belt. Gary Darusha, the referee, had awarded him the match. Well, then what the fans didn't know behind the scenes was Kurt had contemplated going to the WWF. And he actually had told Vern he was going to go. So that ending to the match was set up so that if Kurt was leaving, Nick would have gotten the title back. But if he was staying, which he ended up doing, Vern mm-hmm. and Kurt worked it out, and Kurt ended up staying that time. And then the title legitimately went to Kurt Hennig after Stanley Blackburn reviewed the films. But that that's what happened mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Kurt had already been talking and, and had actually said he was going to leave. Blackburn ever actually reviewed Stanley probably reviewed some films at a at a deserted movie theater, someplace. <laughs> I don't know. I, and and you always knew if Stanley Black. Did you have to put a nickel in to view the film? It was a quarter. What I? Oh, never mind. <laughs> never. Yeah. Sorry, inflation. Well, you were yeah. with him at the Faust, huh? Don't worry. The Faust. Oh my God. But uh, you know, it was interesting about that that Kurt Nick match in San Francisco. Again, if you watch the tape. They're making Kurt be the heel, but yet when he pinned Nick, the crowd popped. They yeah. gave Kurt a baby face pop. So either you know the fans weren't paying attention or the plans were kind of going awry a little bit. But I thought, well, wait a minute. Larry Zabisco, arguably the number one heel, just handed Kurt a roll of quarters. He cold cocked Nick, and the, the fans are cheering. So Kurt had this broad-based appeal even then, he was. Why, why do you Why do you think it was? I mean, why do you think he had that appeal where being the heel and that whole story, but yet people were behind him? Because, well, first of all, like George has always said, wrestling was changing, and you know the the regular babyface, humdrum babyface, all American apple pie wasn't getting over as much as they used to. Um, plus, the fact that Kurt was a cool guy. You know, he had this edge to him. He had this cockiness to them, to him, and people were identifying with it. You know, it was starting to be that that uh, heel crowd coming into the uh, era of professional wrestling. So people were kind of latching on to Kurt. They liked the the conceit. They liked the arrogance, and uh, it was, I guess, changing of the guard. 
Well, and I think, too, with the changing of the guard and you look at, you know, again, going back to that age demographics for Kurt and, and Nick, I think at that point in time, the fans were they were kind of with Nick, but they weren't because Nick at that point was now becoming the aging champion, the yeah. veteran who had had the title for too long. And Kurt was the up and coming. And he had that that pizzazz like, you know, it just and again, we were getting clouded in good guy, bad guy type thing. But definitely, I want to make it clear that Stanley Blackburn could look at tapes of this one because he was not only there, they replayed it because he was at ringside and all those quarters in the ring. I mean, it's obvious that, you know, Kurt didn't bring those in <laughs> play the in the middle of the ring. Wow. Wow. No, uh, no, in the trucks. You, you mentioned the, uh, the Pacific Northwest territory kind of take me through that George and how much that meant to, to Larry and, and Kurt for the two of them to, to team up in, as we saw earlier, we're tagging champs. Well, you know, this was a training ground for Kurt because he had left here after 1981 and he was still a, just a young kid, a rookie. And he goes to the Pacific Northwest which was a thriving territory all through the decades with promoter Don Owen. Um, they had stars like Rip Oliver and Matt Bourne, who I said was a second-generation wrestler, son of Tony Bourne. And then we had Rip, um, Buddy Rose was huge there. And that brings up a good point. Um, one of the guys that, this may surprise you, one of the guys that uh, both Larry and Kurt told me that they had accolades for was Buddy Rose because they had met him in the Pacific Northwest. And of course, Larry knew him from his early AWA days, but Kurt actually teamed with Buddy Rose for a while and they were Pacific uh, Northwest champions. And then Kurt also had a tag team run with a guy named Scott McGee, who fans didn't know at the time was the son of wrestler Jeff Ports. So you had a lot of rookies there, but Kurt was able to pick up a lot of talent. And he actually said that he enjoyed working with Buddy Rose when he was in the Pacific Northwest. Ironically, when they came back or when Kurt came back home, by the time he got to the tag team title with uh, Scott Hall, it was Buddy Rose and Doug Summers that they lost the tag team title to the AWA title. So it was, a, it was a training ground for him. But when Larry was in the Pacific Northwest, Larry said that was, as I said earlier, that was his highlight. Mm -hmm. He said, I just loved being in the ring with my son. And that's the way he said it. So, I mean, I think at the end of Larry's career, because he was past his prime at that point, this was a happy moment. And um, I don't know if we're going to touch on uh, – uh, this was kind of a picture taken around the Road Warriors time when Larry and Kurt were wrestling against the Road Warriors here in the AWA. But I think another time we want to talk about Kurt, um, and I'll let Mick have some time here. But oh, we'll, but, yeah, yeah, hello, Mick. You came. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna break this up into two parts because I mean, oh, there's, just, there, there's so much there's so much going on. We want to uh, talk. We want to mention about yeah. a Hennig race feud that involved Kurt too. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, yeah, I mean, we've still got, I, I've still got a lot of questions, and, and I mean, there's no way that we would get this underneath the, the hour time limit that I, I like to keep it at for, for various reasons. So we're going to break this up into two different parts. Um, we know, Mick, that he was a chronic 
Ribber. Like he'd like to have fun. Tell me about the Mitch Snow duffel bag incident. Poor Mitch Snow. <laughs> the late jamming Mitch Snow. Uh, AWA babyface. When I was working out at the showboat in Vegas, and, and Kurt's reputation as a ribber, I mean, it, it, in the business, it's as far and wide as his talent in the ring. But poor Mitch Snow had not been in the AWA for too long. And I saw this happen. Mitch, I, I don't know, Mitch was not anywhere near the locker room at the time, but uh, Kurt Hennig had gimmicked Mitch Snow's duffel bag. Uh, with a padlock, couple, uh, two, I believe, two master locks. So he couldn't get it open. You know, so when it comes time for the TV taping, Mitch can't get his duffel bag open. He's trying to get his stuff, his, his gear out of the bag. Well, I don't remember if he got a, you know, if they call in a locksmith or if he took a hacksaw to it or whatever. But he finally got the duffel bag open, and the duffel bag was not empty. When Mitch Snow had opened up the duffel bag, uh, his gear was in there, but also there were a couple of little little gifts from Kurt, um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that you could smell on the other side of the locker room. So uh, and, and this was this was so typical of Kurt. And just kind of an FYI, I reached out to uh, Dan Jesser. Uh, local wrestler here in the Twin Cities area, good friends with Kurt. And I said, Dan, give me some some Kurt stories, some of the ribs. He says, I can't. He said, I talked to Brad Ringens about this, and they were so horrible. But <laughs> so he did. Is that I, I, you don't even want to share those on the air. Was there, was there any heat that came back to Kurt, or did people know that, hey, he was just, he was doing, I mean, did did anybody ever feel like he took it too far? Uh, I'm sure they did, but you know what? It was the business. It was the business back then, and everybody did it to everybody else. Uh, you know, the, the ribs in wrestling, the camaraderie back then are legendary. And Kurt was the kind of a guy. I mean, you know, he would deny everything, of course. If there was a rib that somebody pulled, everybody knew it was Kurt. Everybody knew. But Kurt was the kind of guy he'd walk up to you, he'd tell you a story, straight-faced, and you couldn't help but believe the guy. And then you would see when he turned around, his shoulders were shaking like he was laughing or he was winking at some guy off to the side uh, that he, you know, he hooked another guy. Uh, that was Kurt. It was the charm of Kurt Hennig. And again, back in the day, ribs were ribs. And if you couldn't take it, you didn't belong in the locker room. And I think the thing, too, about the ribs, you know, like Mick says, they were part of the business with a lot of the guys. And it was an ongoing thing. There were wrestlers that would rib each other continually back and forth, each one trying to outdo the other. And Kurt just was one of those that seemed to one-up everybody and do it so well and then deny it, you know, with a straight face. Um, maybe goes to confession on Saturday. I don't know, but he, he pulled it off. What about, Mick, I, I want to kind of follow up on that. I've heard about Ray and Wahoo's ribs to Kurt. Kurt was, you know, he was the the ribber, not yeah. the ribby, but what what happened in that instance? Because I, I want to hear you tell that story. One time I was there, one time I wasn't, and they were both on airplanes. 
And uh, Kurt had a tendency to stay up late at night. And as I said, you know, he's playing the slots or the whatever, blackjack. And, you know, we would leave early in the morning the day after the taping. And, you know, Kurt, poor guy, would be staggering out of the plane half the time. It was Kurt and, and uh, Paul Heyman, I think, were the guys that had the worst for wear pretty much every time. But I know that the one time I was not there, uh, Ray shaved off one of Kurt's eyebrows <laughs> as Kurt was sleeping, which, of course, led to Kurt showing up on TV the next week with a Band-Aid over his eyebrow. <laughs> you know, an injury in Denver. Yeah. Might have been an injury flying over Denver. Uh, the other time, poor guy was out like a light, and I mean, uh, he's gone, and he's snoring. And three or four times, Chief Wahoo McDaniel would go to the restroom, and as he's coming back, he would smack Kurt on the back of the head so hard it was like he was giving Kurt one of his famous chops. And the poor guy, Kurt, would just wake up like in this stupor. <laughs> what, what just happened? And he'd go back to sleep, and Wahoo sure as shit would do it again a few minutes later. So they they got Kurt back, believe me. But, you know, Kurt took it in stride, and, you know, if you give it, you got to take it. So, uh, And Ray and Wahoo, what are you going to do, argue with them, challenge them to a fight on the tarmac? You, you just didn't do it. Well, there it is, part one of our two-part series about Kurt Hennig. And just so fun to hear Mick and George talk about the legendary Hennig-Ganya feud that the more I hear about it, and how it really spilled into real life with Larry and Vern, and then you know Greg and Kurt, you know coming up roughly about the same time, and and just so fun to hear about that. You know the first impressions that they had of, of Kurt, some of the conversations that um, that Kurt had with his dad, uh, talking with Mick about his future at the Showboat, and just a lot of great stuff. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Coming up next week, we're going to talk uh, more about how he never forgot about his roots. Attending Twin City Indie shows, which I thought was really interesting to hear. Of course, we're going to have to dive into the Mr. Perfect persona, even though that wasn't AWA, but really how you could start to see that kind of manifest itself in the AWA. Uh, and then they talk about the memorial service and um, Larry, uh, his dad, Larry Hennig, Uh, delivering the eulogy, just a a very, uh, very touching episode that we've got uh, coming up next week. So hopefully you guys have liked it. I want to thank our our friends at Soda Stick. Uh, It's the place to go for your Minnesota sports-themed novelty shirts, uh, hats, whatever you want. As you could tell, uh, I was wearing the Wiener Winner T-shirt from the old Metrodome. I'm actually still wearing it right now. Check out their website, sodastickco.com. Use the promo code UNLEASHED for 15% off. By the way, if you guys are looking for AWA Unleashed merchandise, like T-shirts or whatnot, if it's something that you guys want, let us know. Let us know in the YouTube comments. Uh, Let us know on the Facebook pages. Uh, Send Mick or George an email. Send me a a DM or hit me up on Twitter at CMTubs or at uh, AWA Unleashed. Let us know because if that's something that you guys want, we will definitely explore it. So just if if that's something that you guys would want to do, uh, let me know. And if you're into drinking beer, like you know, you saw I was. You got to check out Liftbridge Brewery as well because it has the official beer 
of AWA Unleashed. It is the best brewery in the Twin Cities. It's got the best beer, frankly, for the best fans. Check out their inventory and their booze and their swag at liftbridgebrewery.com. And one last plug as a thank you to everybody out there that has been uh, supporting us so far. We are doing our very first live show on June 11th at 2 o'clock at Lift Bridge Brewery in New Richmond, Wisconsin. It is going to be right before the Midwest All-Star Wrestling card. MAW has been exceptional to us to uh, allow us to come in and do a show prior to their event. Lipbridge Brewery has been outstanding to allow us to come in and, uh, and do the show. And if you want to come, we've got uh, tickets are on our uh, Facebook pages. Mick's got it on his Slick Mick uh, Old School Wrestling, George Shire Wrestling Time Machine at uh, American Wrestling Association, uh, that Facebook page. Come out and see us on June 11th. Show's going to start at 2. Uh, we're going to go to about 3-ish or so. I frankly have no idea. We're going to fly by the seat of our pants. Uh, we're going to have some giveaways. We're going to have some prizes. We're going to play some games, trivia, Q&A. You know, make fun of George and Mick. I mean, I, it's just a stupid shit, right? That's We're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a bunch of shenanigans. So thank you guys. And here's a chance. Come out and see us. Say hi. You know, we don't get a chance to see everybody in real life. Come and see us in real life. Come, let's let's interact face-to-face, you guys. I love it. Man, you guys have been just so friggin' awesome. And um, thank you guys for supporting everything that we do. Believe me, it, it is not lost on me. It's not lost on them. So thank you guys. And just know that we're always here for any feedback, good, bad, or otherwise. Uh, you know how to get a hold of us. And uh, as they say, you know, that is uh, that is that. Time for me to take it home. And uh, next week, part two of our conversation about Kurt Hedig. And uh, until then, I'm Chris for Mick and George. Until next week, so long, everybody.